Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, the BFW show that brings you a little recap of all the week's biggest events. And again, as I say every week, it's never boring with Bayern Munich. And uh, obviously, the day of Bay Pokal loss to Borussia Mönchengladbach was the big event of the week. Kind of took the luster off of the win over Hoffenheim last weekend, but I won't delve too much into the inner, you know, the inner workings of that loss. I also did the post-game show and then the preview show for Union Berlin, so I hit on all of those topics. Uh, pretty heavily. So I don't want to repeat myself. I don't want to drag you listeners through any ranting about who was terrible in the Gladback match, who struggled and what the problems are. We all saw it. We all know. And I don't want to waste your time. So I've got some other things on tap and uh, we'll get right to them. About the only thing I do want to discuss from that loss has nothing to do with what went wrong on the pitch has nothing to do with which players struggled. What I want to talk about is, does Bayern Munich, do they keep that air of invincibility that they had built up over the course of this season? Because I think if you talk to any pundit or you talk to any fans, but the way Bayern Munich had looked, not just in the Bundesliga, but in the Champions League as well, I think a lot of people would have identified Bayern as a heavy favorite or one of the heavy favorites, not just to win the Bundesliga, but to also win the Champions League. They looked that good. And part of me, when I see a loss like that, I wonder if it creates doubt in the minds of the players on the roster. Now, it's easy to say, no, it doesn't. These are world-class players. They've got great mentalities. They will battle back and respond. And I do believe that. I believe this Bayern Munich team is special. I do believe they will come back and they will rebound. They will take care of business at Union Berlin and then get back on a roll. But just that creeping doubt of having been through a match like that, where you were totally decimated, where you were never in it, where you just got punched in the mouth from the very beginning and never recovered. I wonder if that has any effect. Now, we would all like to think that Bayern Munich is filled with professionals and they are are players who have just so much talent and such good mentalities that they won't let something like that affect them. But more than anything, I think I want to see them tested sooner rather than later. And I don't know if it will happen this weekend against Union Berlin, but I would like to see Bayern Munich in a battle soon because I want to see what kind of medal this particular team has under Julian Nagelsmann. And it's not that I doubt it. I don't think that Nagelsmann has made the team soft. I don't think that he is soft. I just want to see him have to prove how this team can respond to some adversity. And, you know, I don't want to knock Union Berlin, but if Bayern Munich beats Union, it's what they're supposed to do, right? Like that's what's supposed to happen. It's the Bundesliga. Bayern is the better, deeper, more talented squad. They should take care of business. So I guess what I do want to see is how Bayern faces against a very scrappy Benfica squad in the Champions League. Now, we saw that Benfica obviously gave Bayern a little trouble early on, but then just could not keep up with Bayern over the course of the game. And of course, we're worn down. And and that's what we would expect to happen in that matchup. But now this this air of invincibility is gone. Byron has shown that they have some weaknesses, that they have 
the ability to be taken down and taken down in a big way. So I do wonder how the, the squad will respond to being in a tough spot. I wonder if the opposition is now going to look at this and say, hey, if we can get on these guys early, we can put them down and they won't fight back. I'm not saying that Bayern Munich is going to give up. I'm just saying when you get that overwhelmed, if another opponent can put that type of overwhelming performance on Bayern early, will they answer the call? And I think that that's a big question. And that's something I think we saw Bayern do under Hansi Flick. Uh, and, and, you know, some people will point to last year and not being able to get past PSG in the Champions League. But that, I think, had a lot more to do with who was available and who was not available for those matches. Um, I don't think under Flick that Bayern ever failed at answering the bell in a tough situation. They were never non-competitive in a match. They were just tough, mentally, physically tough. And I want to see what this, this squad has. And I'm going to target that Benfica match because I think that that will tell us what this squad is all about and how they are able to respond to a little bit of adversity. And again, I'm one of the people who does not think it's that big of a deal. Sure, it was embarrassing. Sure, it was humiliating. Uh, it was just overall not good. Players just looked really, really bad. But it was one game. And this is a super talented team with great depth. Do they need to make some adjustments? Absolutely. And I think that starts at the top with Nagelsmann. And if you even want to go above Nagelsmann, I think Brazo could be criticized as well for some of the acquisitions he's made over the years. Uh, some good ones, some bad ones. But everyone's held accountable when you have uh, that type of effort. So um, how this team responds under Nagelsmann, how it puts the season back together will be pretty fascinating to see. And I'm pretty confident that they can do it. So uh, like I said, without really delving too much into the specifics of what went wrong, I did want to talk about that air of invincibility because I believe Byron had it. I believe that about a month ago, they looked like a team that was going to steamroll through Europe. And right now, I'm not sure anyone's predicting that aside of a handful of Bayern fans who are confident in the team's ability. So uh, some of the other big news that came out this week uh, kind of broke late. So we did see uh, transfer updates on Nicholas Sula and Kingsley Coman. We'll tackle Sula first. And the big news from Build this week was that Sula looks like he is leaning toward leaving Bayern Munich, which to me, as I've said many, many times, is a disaster. I do not think, one, Bayern can let such a big, fast, talented defender leave. I think he is a foundational piece for the squad. I think he is the team's best center back. I think letting him leave is a huge mistake. And I would not let it happen if I was in the Bayern boardroom. I would do whatever I had to do to keep that man in Munich. Um, it, it's really disappointing that it's even gotten to this point because I feel like there was a lot of unnecessary doubt about Sula last year, whether it was his conditioning, whether it was his form. I think a lot of people just didn't realize, or, or maybe they just didn't care, that he was in his first year back from an ACL, just like Leroy Sané. So as frustrating as it might have been to watch those players struggle at times last season, I think there was a valid reason why they did. And 
what we've seen this year from Sula is that he's extremely competent. He's got every physical trait you would want out of a center back. He has shown an offensive flair and skill that I think over the course of his career is going to continue to develop. And I'm not saying he's going to be some big goal scorer, but what I'm saying is when you get a center back that can pass like he can, that can join up, join the rush like he can, that can contribute something offensively, I think you want to take care of him. And uh, I'm starting to get a little worried that he is actually going to bolt and leave for England. And that, I think, would be a huge mistake. And I'm not just saying that because Dio Upamakano and Luca Hernandez had a, a terrible performance against Gladbach. Uh, I, I'm firmly in the camp that Bayern needs Sula and that they need to find a way to convince him to stay. If they don't, um, I do think they're going to have to go out and get another center back. It's not because I don't believe in Upamakano or Hernandez. Um, you know, we don't know what the future holds. There could be injuries. Uh, Hernandez could be looking, you know, to make a move when his contract is up. And I think having three world-class center backs is uh, kind of a necessity in today's game, just today's game, especially with Nagelsmann always threatening to, to shift to a back three at any point. So I think it's a must. I think Sula, the deal for Sula needs to get done. Bayern needs to find a way to make it happen. Uh, one of the other pieces of news that we saw this week was Kingsley Coman. And, you know, if you're a Coman fan and you like seeing him at Bayern, it's, again, not good news because contrary to some of the reports that we had seen earlier where Coman's asking price had dipped into the 14 to 16 million euro range, uh, Bill is saying that that is not necessarily the case and that Coman is still holding out for 20 million euro a season. And I don't blame Bayern in this case if they are a little hesitant on that. And it's not that Coman can't get that salary elsewhere because he will. Absolutely, he will. Um, and it's not because he doesn't have talent, because he does. It's his availability that's always been the issue. He is uh, Mr. Glass, as some people like to call him. He is frequently injured, and it's, it's a shame that you know, that's just kind of the way he is. He's a mega talent. Uh, he brings so much to the pitch when he is on his game, and we've seen him mature and develop and really fix a lot of the issues that he's had. He just is consistently injured every season, and I think that it's one of those things where this is kind of a risk-reward type thing. While I'm sure that Bayern Munich wants to retain Coman, I think they're looking at, one, who, do, who they already have on the roster. It looks like they're going to reach a deal with Serge Gnabry for a contact, contract extension. So if you add Gnabry and Leroy Sané, uh, to that spot on the roster, if you include Jamal Musiala as a winger, uh, it does give Byron some really good depth with three really good players that they can use at that position aside of Coman. So if you were looking for a place on the roster to make a sale next summer where you could effectively generate good revenue and also not take a huge hit on your team, then I think Coman is probably the player that you would want to sell because he can bring you something in return and you're not going to lose that much. Again, I, I might be biased. I'm a firm believer that Jamal Musiala still is probably the best winger on this team. And he's barely been used at that position this season. Uh, so I think that he's more than capable of filling that role for Coman. 
And, uh, you know, this will lead us right into one of the other news bits that we want to talk about, and that's Kareem Adeyemi, who is considered by some to be the potential replacement for Kingsley Coman. Now, Adeyemi, whose representatives recently visited Bayern Munich, uh, he has had his agents on a bit of a tour through Europe. They were most recently at Inter Milan uh, this week, and it looks like that they are getting a gauge one for how much some of these clubs actually want their client at EME. They're also getting a gauge on what some of these clubs might want to pay at EME in terms of a salary or, or a salary and bonus, I should say. And they're probably looking at the feasibility of how easy it will be for Adeyemi to get playing time. I think that's really important to this kid. One, he's young. Two, he's already at a a very good club in Salzburg where he's getting a lot of time. He's developing rapidly. And it's almost a risky proposition to move at this point because he could easily hang at Salzburg a little longer, continue this rapid development, get even better, and probably uh, demand more of a salary next season. Uh, so uh, for Adi Yemi, I think it's more so him than maybe some other younger players out there. He's looking at playing time. And, you know, his agents might also be talking to these clubs about positioning. And that's one of the interesting things that, that we'll get into now is that, uh, you know, Adi Yemi is mostly known for his work uh, as a center forward, although he does often play out wide as a forward as well. Um at Bayern Munich, where he is slated to have a second meeting, or his agents are slated to have a second meeting, and this time with Julian Nagelsmann, uh, I'm sure that will be a hot-button topic. It's rumored that Bayern Munich views Adeyemi as a winger, and like I said, potentially the replacement for Kingsley Coman. One thing I think that we can all be sure of, if somehow this deal gets done between Bayern Munich and Adeyemi, Coman is all but gone. I, I can't see them keeping Coman at that point. Because I don't think Bayern would view a player like Adeyemi as uh, a successor to Robert Lewandowski. It seems like Bayern is, or at least would be targeting more of a target man striker. I don't see Adeyemi as that. Um, I see him as you know a smaller, quicker, uh, shiftier type of striker. And while I believe that type of striker can work, not everybody is on the same page as me. Um, uh, especially some people that work in the Bayern Munich front office. So uh, it will be very interesting to see how it plays out because Adeyemi is, like I said, a player who is getting a lot of playing time, who is starring right now. And it would be kind of a risky proposition for him to move to Bayern Munich and then be the third or fourth winger on the roster. Uh, I just don't know if it's a smart decision to do something like that especially when there are options like Borussia Dortmund, RB Leipzig, Inter Milan, uh, Barcelona, Liverpool, where he might actually even get a little more time than what Bayern Munich could offer him at any of those destinations. So, um, you know, it, it will be really, really intriguing to see what happens with him and how things pan out with his transfer saga, because he is a, he is a player that, uh, right now is is in demand. A lot of clubs want him, and uh, his stock is pretty high. So Salzburg stands to make a pretty penny off of him. Uh, so, <laughs> and it's it's kind of funny because 
I think the kid has talent. And I think that, you know, obviously he had some struggles earlier in his career as a youth player, but obviously having some issues at Bayern Munich, but uh, he is a kid that's it's going to be able to turn things around, it seems like, and really make a success story of himself. And, uh, you know, just as a player that has overcome something, wh- whatever the adversity was, whatever caused him to uh, to leave Bayern Munich, we know it was a disciplinary issue. We just don't know exactly what. Uh, it would be good for him personally to be able to be that reclamation story that, you know, he's the kid that, you know, made some mistakes earlier in his career and was able to to make the best of it and really turn himself into a success. So uh, speaking of success, uh, I started to watch this week, and I'll, I'll kind of close the, the weekend warm-up with a couple of non-Bayern items. I started to watch Squid Game with uh, my 14-year-old. So uh, we're only two episodes in. She actually wanted to watch it. So I figured I would watch it with her, which is kind of weird because I'm typically the kind of person when I start a series or something, I kind of like to do it at my own pace. Uh, Occasionally, I'll be one of these people that will stay up until like two in the morning, three in the morning and, and, you know, knock out a couple of episodes and then just suffer the next day. But I obviously can't do that if I'm watching that with her. So uh, we're taking it slow. Like I said, we're only two episodes in. Uh, so far, so good for me. It's intriguing. Um, it's got an interesting premise, of course, and I won't you know, go into any spoilers or anything, mostly because I don't know any, but I don't want to give too much away. Only that it does remind me of a kind of a new age version of, and I don't mean new age in the setting of the, the show. I just mean kind of new age in that I'm old and it's 2021. Uh, one of my favorite 80s flicks, The Running Man. So uh, I've actually referenced this on the site a few times. Um, I, I have always had a soft spot for The Running Man, starring, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was adapted from a Stephen King book, but I found the whole premise really fascinating. I thought it was a lot of fun. The movie, while you know, totally engorged in the 80s cheese, is just really good if you can kind of let all of your guards down and just enjoy something for what it is. Of course, Richard Dawson was involved as the host as well. To me, I just, I love everything about that flick. And I, I'll actually like maybe once a year, it it, it happens literally that it, it doesn't happen that much, but it'll happen like once a year while I'll be flipping around and all of a sudden it will be on some random channel and then I'm stuck watching it and I can't turn it off. I think I even own it on DVD somewhere. Uh, I'd have to probably find that, but anytime I see that, I absolutely make it a point to watch it because it is just, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's classic Arnold. If you, if you get a kick out of Arnold Schwarzenegger and all of his eighties antics, uh, you know, you would really enjoy that. So it's kind of the same premise as squid game in a way, not exactly the same squid game obviously has some, uh, it's got some, some very creative writing to it. It's got a, like I said, it's got some intrigue. It's keeping you on the edge of your seat. Uh, so I'm interested to see how it plays out. I know a lot of people have, have uh, finished it, but uh, I'm just getting started on it because, you know, my life is crazy. And I'm always late in starting these kind of things. And for those of you who read my stuff off, and you'll, you'll know I, I often reference Curb Your Enthusiasm as well, and I have not watched the first episode of the new season of that yet. So I am going to, at some point this weekend, 
make up that time, watch a little bit of Curb, watch some Squid Game, and hopefully at some point I'll be all caught up. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm very interested to see both of those shows and how they develop. And kind of the last point I wanted to talk about is I feel like I'm always under attack and, and deluged with gambling ads. Now, now, I know for those of you in Europe and elsewhere, gambling has kind of been, I don't want to say, I guess, legalized and normalized more than, uh, than us people here in America, right? So it's now just kind of all you know, with the pro sports gambling coming out in the open and being more normalized. We're seeing, you know, commercials on TV. We're seeing or hearing commercials on radio all the time. It's basically all I see and hear are just ads for gambling. And I will say, like, over the course of my life, I have been someone who has partaken in some gambling um, on sports events. Now, obviously, I've been to casinos and done the casino scene, but I always had a little thing of liking to bet on a game and then watching it and agonizing over every little thing. I don't know why. I don't know if it's like uh, some kind <laughs> of sadistic behavior I have trapped in my head, but I, I really was into it in my early to mid twenties. And I mean, it was, it was fun. It was hard. It was <laughs> defeating, deflating. It was, the ups and downs, the roller coaster ride of it all was nuts. And like, I got through that phase. And then, you know, I got to a point where I said, you know what, I'm just, I'm done with this. And, uh, you know, as I see all of these ads and I see, you know, all the different ways you can gamble now and all the different sites you can go on and you can pull it up on your phone and just pick games. It's amazing to me. Like when I think about gambling and I think about how I used to gamble, I used to go through the newspaper. I used to look at the lines. Then I would have to call my bookie, right? And I, I you know, obviously when you have bookie back in the day, right? You, you didn't, I mean, this was, I'm calling on a landline. Like <laughs> that's, that's how old this was. Like, And it, it's kind of funny. The background on the, the people I used to bet with was you had to have like a, a, uh, a nickname because obviously like, you know, they didn't want records of anything. So, uh, you know, I had a nickname and I would call into this place. Now, the, the funny part about the place was it wasn't just like some guy sitting in his living room, like taking bets. Right. It was in the basement of a hoagie shop where these guys had set up an operation. And obviously they had some help in funding this operation from other entities, but uh, they ran this booking outfit out of the basement of a hoagie shop. So when you'd be calling, it would always be like, oh, I'm calling the shop. So there was always all kinds of code words and names for everything and what you were doing. So, you know, I'm Chuck, blah, 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 some fake last name. I call in, you know, I have the lines I got out of the paper or off the internet. Ask about the games to the bookie. He gives me what lines they have. I give him my bets. Then you go through the agonizing process of winning or losing. And, and back in the day, it wasn't like you had like Twitter and you didn't have all of this instant access to scores and play by play. Uh, there weren't a million games on TV at all times. So 
I would sit on like CBS sports line. Right. And I'd be, if I bet an NBA game and I'd have to hit refresh like 6 million times and I would be agonizing possession by possession by possession. And it's like, Oh God, I, why did I bet this Atlanta Hawks, Utah jazz game? I have no rooting interest in it. The line was two and a half. What the hell was I thinking? But I would do it anyway. Cause I was an idiot. So the point of all this is with everything so accessible, it kind of has taken all the personal element out of gambling and what was fun about it for me. And I don't know if it was fun, but I felt like when I was calling somebody and I was talking to the bookie, there was at least a relationship there. Now at this particular outfit that I bet with, if you uh, got into too much debt that you couldn't pay it off, you would have to go work at the shop. Now you weren't making hoagies or anything. You were actually down in the basement taking calls and giving lines. Well, thankfully, that never happened to me. I was never in, in that deep. Uh, so I never had to work at the shop. But uh, I did have to make, you know, the walk of shame to, to pay the bookies. And how we used to do that was, uh, so anybody from Pennsylvania or even, I guess, on the East Coast now has probably heard of a Wawa, right? So I would go and... <laughs> You know, I would get my envelope of money, whether if I had to pay him, I was I had held the envelope myself, or if they had to pay me, which is always a better meeting, um, you know, they would be giving me the envelope. But, uh, you know, like I said, you had these nicknames, a pseudonym, they didn't really know who you were, they just kind of knew that you got hooked up with them and that you were gambling and you were betting a lot. So, um, you know, I would go meet the guy and it was kind of funny, like at the time, uh, you know, I was in my early to, yeah, early 20s, mid 20s, and I was doing a lot of work for a newspaper. And I was, uh, one of the things I was doing, I was a beat writer for high school hockey. So every week, you know, I was going to multiple games. I had a column with my picture in the newspaper. And the funny part was uh, that one week I was going to pay, and it was a pretty significant payment because we had, I had had a bad week. And the guy I used to bet with, my, my buddy, uh, we had just, terrible week. I mean, we must have lost like 80% of the games we bet. So we were, we were down bad that week. And I hand him uh, the envelope because of course, like I drew the bad, you know, I drew the long straw and having to, to make the payment that week. Um, and I hand the guy the envelope and he goes, Hey, aren't you the guy from the hockey notebook? And, you know, I mean, how embarrassing is that? Like the guy identifies you from your picture being in the paper, but Buddy, let me tell you, that was not the worst place that I was ever identified from that stupid picture in the newspaper. Um, <laughs> just to, to, to get sidetracked a little bit off my gambling point, I um, was at a bachelor party and we were in Atlantic City. And of course, as some some guys want to do, they, they want to go to a gentleman's club, right? So I'm, I'm not big on that scene. Like, I'll go if I'm in a bachelor party, but it's not really something I thoroughly like enjoy. It's kind of you know, to each his own. Some people enjoy it. I'm just, you know, you know, it's not necessarily my thing. So I'll go, I'll drink some beers. I'll watch whatever game is on the big screen there. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. But one of the the bad things about it was as I was walking through and, and we're carrying, it was a, a BYOB club, right? So, you know, when you're in Atlantic City and you're only down there for a day, it's not like you're, you're going out, you can't bring a cooler in. So, you could either get a styrofoam cooler from like a convenience store or you get resourceful and you use your pillowcases from the hotel you're staying at and you carry your beers in those. So that's what we did. So I'm carrying my beers in, in a pillowcase through this club and this kid stops me. You know, I, I was probably, I don't know, I want to say maybe 26 or 27. 
And this kid stops and he's like, hey, hey, I know you. And I'm like, uh, dude, I don't know who you are. He goes, yeah, yeah, you covered me in hockey. I can't believe you're here. I was like, oh, this has got to be the most uh, humiliating thing ever that like a kid I was covering playing ice hockey is now identifying me in a strip club. Um, I don't know. It, it, I guess it doesn't get much worse than that. But anyway, the point on gambling is that uh, you know, that personal touch is lost when you can just pick up your phone and do it. And I guess I kind of missed that. So uh, on that note, I, uh, sorry, I got sidetracked on the gambling and uh, strip club story. But uh, on that note, I just want to wrap things up and uh, you know, just want to say thanks for listening and, and hearing me out as I was kind of rambling on about uh, <laughs> what was going on uh, previously, previously in my life and how I handled uh, being a relatively good gambler at times and a really piss poor gambler at other times. So uh, be sure to keep checking BavarianFootballWorks.com for all the latest and greatest Bayern Munich and Germany coverage. You can always get me on Twitter at the Barrel Block. You can get our primary site account at Bavarian FB Works, which is run expertly by Tommy Adams. Uh, Tommy, of course, picked up a Nissan Rogue today. So Ladies, he'd be happy to pick you up in that. So hit him at his handle at Tommy Adams 71. You can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. And uh, hey, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the match this weekend. Hopefully it turns out better than that Gladback game.